Hello and welcome to the Complexion Podcast, where we get under the skin of what it feels like to be non-white by hearing voices that we traditionally don't, that of everyday, extraordinary, ordinary non-white women. Now, it's important to say that the term non-white is used deliberately here to frame and give context to these women's experiences and voices, and it isn't used as a label or definition for their complexion, race or ethnicity. My name is Sakina Ballard. I'm a brown woman and mother, and I'm also a trauma-informed therapeutic coach and mentor, and I specialize in the perinatal period. This podcast was born out of conversations, and it's here to open up more important conversations. So please come and leave your reflections in a review. Plus do give it a like and a subscribe too. Your support and voice is invaluable. Each one of the guests shares aspects of a precious part of our human experience, their personal story. And it's a privilege to be able to share this with you. So thank you for being here and being a part of the conversation. We hope you enjoy it and we hope you find it inspiring and enlightening too. And we're back for another episode of Complexion. And today my wonderful guest is another incredible person I've met in the maternity space. Venish Nuznin um, is someone who I've known through her work in raising awareness and cultural competency and really elevating equality and outcomes for women in maternity and beyond. So I'm going to hand over to you, Vimash. Hi. Um, Asalaamu Alaikum. Namaste. Sasriyakal. Marhaba. Ahlan wa sahlan. Like everything I can think of. Hi, everybody. Um, bonjour. <laughs> My name is Vinesh Nazmin. I'm a specialist cultural liaison midwife and I am an immigrant. I'm a Muslim. Um, I'm a woman. I'm an aunt. I'm a daughter. I'm me. Nice to meet you all. It's so wonderful to have you on and thank you so much for joining. And I guess it's really interesting you know I always say to people please introduce yourself because I always think how we choose to suppose identify present ourselves in any given moment is unique and it's um it's really interesting to think about what aspects of ourselves we want to put forward so I guess the first thing I always ask everyone but I'm really keen to know that wasn't covered is how would you describe your complexion um in this light fantastic because <laughs> I sat in the right place um but my complexion is like so what I normally say is my shade of tea <laughs> so when someone's making a cup of tea and they say how do you like your cup of tea I'm like this shade this with the tan <laughs> oh I love that but, and people always like joke and laugh it off um but it's like um so it's like a mocha, caramel, macchiato, coffee-esque uh, complexion with like um, the bits where the coffee hasn't quite dissolved because I've got freckles and then like the, the concealer's really working very well today <laughs> with the lighting so you can't see the, the South Asian extra baggage we carry here, you know, like just, you know, just the, yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's it's all mine so that's that's my shade 
and it changes day to day, especially after I've gone on a holiday. Yeah, that's such an important point, actually. You know, our complexion shifts, doesn't it? And it depends on so many things. And even like whether or not we've got makeup on that day and stuff as well. And like, so for me, like you will see like this shade here, but when I remove my hijab, you'll see line here. So I'll have a different shade there, which is a little bit lighter. But then like, if I was to like roll up my sleeves all the way up or like, you know, kind of like pull my shoulder down, you'll see completely different complexion. So I have like about the hijabi colouring. So like you have, a you know, about three or four different shades all over your body, <laughs> depending on what covering you've been doing and what time of year it is. I love that. And I love how, how moving that is as well. Like it's, it moves with the seasons, it moves with what you're doing in your life. I don't think anyone's described it like that before. And I think that's such a a beautiful honouring way of describing your complexion. Thank you. It's the and, rainbow. You know, and, and it's interesting because it can feel like quite a serious topic and it, it is, but actually there is something like really lighthearted in the way you've described that relationship with the, you know, it's essentially our outer covering, isn't it? It's our boundary between us and, and the world around us. And one of the big things that's always come up in the podcast, and, and sort of been, I suppose the basis for it, was really determining our relationship as we live inside our skin to the external world around us. Because, of course, the external world view us through the lens of first seeing our boundary, our skin. And when did you first realise that you were non-white? Or did you? Yeah. Um when I came to the UK I was four years old when I emigrated and obviously I haven't got that good of a memory because I can't remember that but I do have a distinct memory of um my dad dropping me off at nursery and it's not with reflection I now realized I was different uh but I didn't know what was wrong well yeah I did know what was wrong I didn't speak a word of English <laughs> my dad took me to nursery dropped me off I was like waving at him crying upset because like I understood him and now people are speaking at me with an alien language and I'm just like and, and that's like a literal a literal snapshot of memory that's kind of that I've got and I don't know the details I just know that feeling of alien <laughs> Or yeah. what I assume is to be alien because I've never met one, so I can't really go off <laughs> research. It's, it's that really powerful word, actually, isn't it? To feel alien, to feel like it, there is something about alien that feels non-human, isn't there? It's not just another person. It's like you are something so different. You've come from somewhere so different. Yeah. I really resonate with that because I, I, I was an immigrant in this country at the age of six and a half, and and exactly the same. We, we know ourselves because of our environment. I hadn't noticed myself as being non-white until I was in this environment where suddenly it mattered that I was non-white. Okay. And I was quite interested when you were speaking about that, about the, the sort of sense of lack of memory um, and, you know, just these like little snapshots that are almost honed in your experience of yourself do you have others like that? Feelings. Yeah. Like feelings, um, emotions. And do you know what's the biggest trigger for me is music. 
So like um, when I hear a really old Indian song, uh, because like I grew up with those music, like that environment, because my as immigrant family, you know, first of all, the television was a thing. And you know, English television where people just randomly kissing was like, uh, change the channel, change the channel. Who's got the remote? Like everyone's avoiding eye contact. Everyone's looking down. So it was just safer. It was a safe bet to have an Asian telly show on because you knew it'd be like PC, like Asian level PC. You know what I mean? So, um, so like I grew up with Asian television. So like that means I grew up with Asian music. I was just exposed to that so often. Um and, and so like I know like different music brings back um different memories and like smells. Um like when I wake up, I know it's Eve or I know it's Eve because I'm cooking nowadays. But <laughs> back when I was a child, I knew it was Eve because I'd wake up to the smell of caramelized onions as my mum would be like, uh, just like caramelizing them for the rice. And I could just smell it. I was like, see? Uh, that, so that feeling still comes back whenever I smell the caramelizing onions. And um, when I hear certain music, uh, it takes me back. Actually, some music takes me back to my brother blasting the stereo. Like uh, I'd be having naps and I'd wake up to like my brother just blasting music and I'd be like, oh yeah, like uh, Balisagu, you know, <laughs> Long Wacha, like, like these old school remixes that were just um, classic and <laughs> lyrical. So it's so funny. I- like music having that space where it almost inhabits and brings you back to like you know a place of just being you and music's really freeing like that anyway isn't it there is something so therapeutic about just being able to hear a song and it like evokes so much inside us and then on top of that to give you this real rooting of a sense of you know who you are where your roots are it's like a true transportation device. You know, like people are like, there's no such thing as a transportation device, but there is, there is like, you could be in a moment and you can be transported somewhere completely different depending on your trigger. And I've just given you really happy triggers because I'm, you know, even though whatever is going on, I'm probably in a good, I'm in a good cycle today. So I'm having a good day, which means I'm going, I'm leaning towards the positive memories, but there's bad memories that come back, you know, there's like, there's bad things that you hear, you see, and it takes you back to that feeling of like inadequacy or like alien or, you know, not belonging, but it's nicer to talk about the good ones. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? What comes up at different times and what, and as you say, what the triggers are, And this is something I think has come up a lot in these conversations. And one of the reasons I wanted to have them is because sometimes these triggers are so subtle, aren't they? They're so micro and yet we feel this response. And I think, you know, the language you have used around that, the sense of alien really holds against the sense of, of course, the one thing we all want, which is a sense of belonging. Mm. Have you got like moments where you have felt absolute belonging but also where you felt growing up absolute alien in moments as in like in one given moment i'm feeling both those emotions or different or because yeah different times i mean it'd be really interesting if you've ever had uh, you know an experience of feeling both yeah i have had that experience which is why i asked and i clarified that because um midwifery actually my job 
I love my job. And, um, you know, that typical Asian thing, the stigma around talking about birth before you're actually pregnant and actually married and all those things doesn't really happen. So when I um, was looking at applications, uh, well, actually um, subjects to study in university, I was literally going off a prospectus. And I read five prospectuses back to front and it was between teaching and midwifery. Both of them were calling to me on like this instinctive level. I really liked the sound of them. I really liked the feel of them. And I had a little look around and I was like, okay, I want to do either of these. And I was told midwifery is really hard and I shouldn't even apply because I'm not going to get in. So um, I flipped a coin because I couldn't decide and it landed on midwifery. And I already was like, I'm not going to get in, but I'm going to apply for this. I flipped that coin. I landed on midwifery. I was expecting to take a year out and go into teaching. Obviously, that didn't happen. I did get into midwifery, and that's a story in itself. And I'll talk about that some other time. And I'm sure I do in different talks. But I then went for these interviews, got into midwifery. I came home and told my mum. Then I had to explain to her what midwifery was because obviously she still didn't speak English and didn't want to speak English and was quite happy. That um, I was just going to university, to be honest. So that was her investment, not anything else. So when I explained the subject, she was like, "Oh, but your grandma was a village midwife in Kashmir." So you know, like my grandma had been there for the birth of my siblings. Uh, by my time, she wasn't really doing it. So my aunt had, uh, you know, had been present for my birth and <laughs> under the watchful eye of grandma, should I say? Um, but you know, there was there was this connection. Then there was this instant connection, like something clicked, and it felt like. Yeah. Is that why it was calling to me? I don't know. Was it in the blood? Was it in the genes? Was it meant to be? But then learning midwifery and and being mentored and going to work and training, there were lots of times when I felt alien and unwelcome and, you know, looking back there was lots of bias and discrimination thrown my way from different people in different fields in different areas but still I was doing something that belonged so there was that definite juxtaposition there there was that kind of pulling and uh, pushing. There's something um, thank you so much for sharing that there was something so incredible the moment you said that your grandmother Life, you know, there was something so landing in that, and it is something that you know comes up a lot in these conversations around the maternity space, particularly. But it, it's a, it's a universal theme, this idea of not being represented in the space, and yet, of course, you know, women from various backgrounds who describe their complexion in numerous ways will birth, and. Yet, where is the sense of with women and that whole sense of midwifery for those women? And that's really interesting, I think, that notion to belong and to be alien. And it just got me thinking about who has sort of appropriated these ideas, like midwifery doesn't belong to one space. It doesn't just belong to a Western medical, European model of medicine. Midwifery is this global um space of women generally supporting women yes we do not recognize midwives if you've not been trained in the western world you know 
you may be a midwife, but you cannot be employed. Can you? I never thought of that, actually. That's just something that's come to my head when you, we were having this that conversation when we were just speaking and I heard that and I was like, there are midwives in third world countries that help pregnant people birth their babies. They do it. They have been doing it. They have no hospitals close by, but they wouldn't be able to just come to the UK and get a job. There is something in that though, isn't there? And I know we're just sort of exploring this conversation for the first time. And that's what happens in all of these conversations is they're very organic. And I like that. And I think there is something quite profound in that because when you think about people being able to bring them their whole selves, everything, their roots, their, their knowledge, their wisdom, their, you know, the, the whole being, past, present, future, into whatever they're doing. It's like, well, if that's where you've, you've learned your skills and it, you've had this sort of wisdom passed down and, and you've, you've learned through being with others and you reach a space, you've absolutely reached a barrier because you're probably going to have to let go of part of your being and part of what's got you there in order to be able to move forward in this very kind of, um, a, a very, what's the, I can't think of the word, but it's like it's a sort of, a bit standardised model of okay. care. Structured, very yes. prescribed model, isn't it? But as per prescriptions go, one one tablet doesn't treat all. Absolutely, and this is something that's come up time and time again. And when we look at like you know inequalities and in outcomes, and we ask why are they happening, you know, it's a conversation that maybe we need to have a bit more and say, actually, is there a a depth of understanding of a whole person because actually the people caring for them are able to bring their whole selves to the table as well. It's such a big conversation because when you are in that position and you are able to have conversations freely, are we then able to learn from each other but the fear of you know allies worrying that they're going to be called racist or black and brown people and people from our diverse communities feeling like that they are putting their head above the parapet they're going against what they've been taught by their parents which is be grateful work hard keep your head down accept what you get given have no expectations don't complain so when you're kind of there's that barrier in itself to having those conversations to begin with and that's the easiest thing anyone can do but then that conversation itself can be a trigger and trauma for the person who's carrying the burden of that conversation and opening their wounds up for people to see. Yes, absolutely. And there are spaces where we can open ourselves up and we do it, we offer that, it's an offering and it's held safely. Mm. And we feel safe in that offering and we feel like the offering is useful for some form of growth and, and progression. Yeah. And it's maybe that there needs to be some more of those spaces as well. Yeah. So um, 
so, I mean, well, my work is around this and like in all the different hats I do. So like Sheffield Return to Cooperative, we're running support and advocacy groups for black and brown uh, communities by black and brown uh, facilitators really with specialist care um, to, to have that safe space um, for the communities where we can talk culturally practices and we can talk about all those things that we worry about for judgment and we can c- kind of help facilitate that conversation with our own communities. ASAM Association of South Asian Midwives, we're having some really difficult conversations with our own communities regarding the stigma and the the kind of taboo subjects that we have with our own communities that we hold closely because we feel like it's time to start getting over bereavement and well getting over the fact that we can't talk about bereavement we need to talk about bereavement we need to talk about loss we need to talk about infertility we need to talk about mental health we need to talk about all these subjects that were taboo in the UK not so long ago but now we're being started to have now those conversations starting to be had so we need to start actually have those conversations with ourselves and our children and our future but then there's also the work that we do well I have a community of cultures maternity forum which is for maternity healthcare professionals so that they can be present in a safe space and help create a safe space where people from different communities are invited to have these conversations and midwives are able to ask questions and and learn because actually the fear of not asking questions means you do not learn, which means you continue to manifest and, you know, the, the biases fester and grow and stereotypes fester and grow and the barriers fester and grow. I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely true that that exists. And unless we create spaces that are accepting of questions and accepting of mistakes as well and being able to kind of tread this path together, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, as you were speaking, I, I wondered where those spaces have maybe been created for you and if they have. They hadn't for a very, very long time. Um, and then this year happened and I went and created them for myself in all the work that I am doing and doing with my allies and uh, my my uh, communities. So really, no one created it for me. I had to go and do it myself. And in doing so, it meant that I was able to facilitate that for others. And they're really beautiful, beautiful spaces when we are able to create them. Space is like one of those things that amplifies. When you create it and you give it to somebody, they're able to then recreate and offer it to others. Yeah. And that's the hope. So that's just the beginning. That's quite profound from that first story you shared about being dropped at at nursery, you know, and that feeling. And and imagine that girl who, you know, it's a young girl, a four-year-old, in a totally different space, suddenly feeling trapped in, not being able to communicate, ask for the things you need. To this woman now who is finding ways to create spaces that have never been modelled for you. So... I think for the longest time, I didn't want to take up space, not because I didn't want it, because I was taught not to. So I didn't take up space. 
but am I now at a point in my life where I love my complexion? There were times when I didn't. I grew up with fair and lovely as a normal household item. You know, fair and lovely, for those who don't know, is a skin bleaching cream used in South Asian countries very commonly. Um, but And I've had my skin rubbed raw by my aunt because she wanted to get me fairer. Uh, it's it's the Eurocentric view and beauty lens that has been placed upon our communities. But I grew out of that eventually after I'd internalized it, lived with it, perpetuated it, sadly, to then overcome and learn and grow. But that wasn't easy because growing is painful and you have to make yourself uncomfortable. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, then that's probably not a bad thing to be feeling right there and then. Yeah, it's very true. And it's something, you know, I talk a lot on Instagram about kind of post-traumatic growth. And by that, I mean, growing through the experiences that have kind of in some ways cocooned us um, and finding a way through that and there are many analogies but you know there that analogy of it being uncomfortable it's it's like a metamorphosis you have to it's like your insides are coming out you know <laughs> and it's messy and it's icky yeah. and it always amazes me particularly when we have our roots somewhere else and sometimes we felt uprooted you know to to be us in our in our complexity in our complexions and our complexity um in spaces that we don't find ourselves represented in or always belonging in what it takes to grow when you don't necessarily have that rooting in, in where you are. Do you know, I think it takes something else as well, doesn't it? A sense of choosing the identity we're going to have. Yeah, because I think a, a lot of people will identify with this sense of not belonging when you are an immigrant or a, you know, someone from a community where you're quite obviously don't look like you belong. Um, it's, it's this identity of you belong in your house, but then when you go out of your house, you don't necessarily feel that same belonging. But then when you go to your country of origin, things have changed so much and you're now the foreigner and you are, you know, where you expect to be treated like you belong, you're still not treated like you belong. So there is this whole kind of, you know, someone once asked me, where is home? And there used to be a time when I used to say home is where mum and dad are. But there came a time when I said home is where I am. And I don't know when that happened. But that happened because I went and worked on who I was as an individual and not who I was as a daughter or a sister or an aunt or all those familial expectations, or an Asian girl in school, you know. And I think there's a lot to be said about the work that I did on myself and learning myself and knowing who I am and where I want to go. And there is something um, I absolutely resonate 
you know, everything you've said there really resonates for me. And there is something about choosing, isn't there? And I think there is, this is something that has come up probably as a theme in a lot of these conversations is that when you are not white, there is a level of having to choose who you're going to be, particularly perhaps in, in our generation where we are going through education systems, we're going into workplaces, we are, you know, growing up with peers who are similar to us, different to us, you know, you know it, it, this sort of real sort of melting of different ideas and values and cultures and, and, and visual complexions, you know, um, that there's a choice. And I, and I think there is, you know, possibly a natural progression as well. There is a time we reach in our 20s where we start to shed who we've been as children and start to become our adults. But if you were to give a message as we're sort of coming to our plays, I guess, from you now, from this woman you've chosen to be and these things you've chosen to embrace as part of who you are, to that four-year-old girl who stood in that nursery, what would you say to her? Wow. Um, I say to the four-year-old Beanish, do what you love. Trust your instincts. Learn to say no. <laughs> Find your passion and don't let anyone get you off that track. Don't let anyone put you off your mission, your work, your passion by making you feel like you're an outsider. That's really profound. And that speaks to the person we are within, not what people see on the outside. Yeah. Well, that's so amazing. Thank you so much. I just want to say again, thank you for your time and your wisdom and the conversations. You know, these conversations started because there was a space that wasn't fully being explored. There was this unspoken that many of us carry within when we have this sort of non-white experience, if you like. And there are so many aspects of this experience that resonate for so many. So I just want to say thank you for sharing yours and your story, which was precious and it was lovely to hear. Thank you for creating the safe space where I felt comfortable enough to have these conversations because that means a lot. And uh, for everyone who's listening, if anything I said has angered you, then please reflect on why. If anything has made you feel uncomfortable, please sit down with yourself and think about and write down what and why and where that has come from. Yeah, and I think that's a really good action to take forward as things come up as a point of reflection. Thank you so much. I want to say a massive thank you to my guest for sharing their voice and story so authentically. And a massive thank you to you for being here and a part of this conversation. Our stories and voices are an important part of who we are and collectively make up our human experience, your voice included. So please come and share your takeaways and reflections from the podcast. Plus, give it a like and a subscribe too, if you'd like to. 
You can find more ways to explore women's voices and your own voice over on the website, sakinaballard.com. But for now, thank you for listening today. And I look forward to the next conversation with you soon.